This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Moody Publishers. Do you long for a close community? Do you feel lonely or isolated or that fellowship with other Christians should be easier and go deeper? In his new book, Dearly Beloved, pastor, author, and TGC council member Vermin Pierre examines Christ's love for his bride, the church, and aims to help readers understand and develop true fellowship with those around them. Learn how to love others well, practice presence, and develop unity in the church when you purchase your copy of Dearly Beloved by Vermin Pierre, now available at moodypublishers.com. You're listening to the Gospel Coalition podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, we bring you a workshop session led by Todd Gorenson and Steve Rooks on evangelism and the arts. This workshop was originally held at the Gospel Coalition's 2019 National Conference in Indianapolis. Thank you for this opportunity here at the Gospel Coalition. Just, uh, just to share your heart, Father. We pray that not only for this meeting here, but for the other meetings that are being gathered this time, that uh, there will be times where we can really just explore all of the things that you want to say. And uh, our hearts will be open. We just, again, yield this time to you in Jesus' name. All right, here's Tom. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, We're grateful to have... uh, you joining us today for what we hope will be a good discussion afterwards as well. Uh, Here at the Gospel Coalition, we realize you have lots of choices for your breakout session. So uh, we're glad that you uh, were here today with us. Uh, My name is Todd Gorenson, and I'm a professor of music at Messiah College, where I teach uh, applied saxophone and bassoon, and also uh, music theory and some other coursework, uh, uh, jazz on, uh, some jazz ensembles. And I've also served uh, from 2017 to 2018 as uh, a term as president of the Christian Performing Artists Fellowship and the Masterworks Festival. And uh, that's a connection that uh, Steve and I have. Uh, Steve Rooks, uh, I'm very honored to share the, uh, share the stage with him today. He's a professor and chair of dance and the resident choreographer at Vassar College. Uh, he's danced with the uh, Martha Graham uh, dance ensemble for over a decade, including serving as uh, their principal dancer. And he's also been involved uh, with the Masterworks Festival. For those of you who are wondering, are the arts uh, effective in evangelism? Uh, if there's any uh, concern or uh, if you're wondering whether the answer is going to be yes, we're, we're going to assert that yes, they're, they're definitely there. Take care of any tension, anticipation there. Any suspense? Yes. Yeah, that's the short answer, but, but we'll elaborate here a little bit. Um, obviously, uh, 
I imagine anybody who comes to a session like this is aware that uh, the performing arts and the visual arts are a means of worshiping God and a uh, effective and beautiful and, and unique way of uh, doing that in of itself. Uh, but they also can have a unique role in revealing and presenting gospel truths to both the artists and uh, the audience or consumers or whatever whatever term we want to use for the people that are there uh, viewing or listening or participating uh, as an audience member. Um, art has its own way of conveying and portraying uh, the beauty and the complexity of God's creation. Um, it also provides a means for reaching communities and individuals with the message of the gospel who might not be inclined uh, to walk into a church on Sunday morning or to actively seek a knowledge or relationship with Christ. Now, this is obviously a broad topic that we could uh, talk for well over 40 minutes um, up here from the stage, and I actually have notes here in front of me to guarantee that I don't go on talking for hours on end and make us late for the next session. Usually when I'm up on a stage and I'm not holding a musical instrument, I'm lecturing on means of coping with performance anxiety. How many of you are uh, folks who are musicians or artists uh, in some kind of performing arts capacity? I'm just curious. Lots of you. Okay. So the primary phobia that psychologists talk about, the one they call the universal phobia, is combat. Because 98% of people have a phobia to combat. I find that an interesting statistic because that means the 2% don't. <laughs> but the second one, uh, and depending on which study you look at, is between 75 and 80% is of speaking or performing in front of a group of people. So um, I think it was about three years ago, I was talking to a lecture hall full of about, what was a conference room of about a thousand people on performance anxiety uh, down in Texas. And I started out by saying, wow, there are a lot of people here. I am so nervous. And literally I saw several people get up and start heading toward the door. <laughs> and I was like, kidding, please, please come back. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll watch out for that one. Um, I'd like to talk about two distinctly uh, different mission fields. Of course, there's overlap here, but in the time that we have, uh, the two primary mission fields that I'd like to look at for evangelism in the arts. And those two fields are the artists and the performers themselves, as well as the community at large. And when we talk about evangelism, I think we can just boil it right down to the Great Commission, uh, Matthews 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Um, discipleship is about relationship. And as artists or people involved in the performing and visual arts, uh, we need to be sensitive and available uh, to the Holy Spirit as those relationships become possible. Now, I'm going to be talking about things that are potentially problems, but this means a lot of opportunity for us. So hopefully you'll hear the opportunity part and not the struggle part in of itself. But looking at the first of the two prongs of the mission field, um, we have the aspiring Christian artist, uh, musician, or dancer. Uh, this is an area of great potential for outreach, uh, largely because of the inherent challenges that are there. Um, 
not going to give a big, long history lesson, but in short, uh, from a historical perspective, for many centuries, the Christian church was at the forefront of artistic creation. And um, the arts, just Western culture in general, the church was at the forefront Forefront uh, from the 20th century onward. Uh, secular culture uh, has generally been at the forefront in innovation and patronage as well for the arts. As a result ministering to young aspiring artists, uh, both those who are walking with Christ and those who are not. It's a massive mission field. Um, And in the 21st century church, I think it's safe to say that it can be a really complex mission field. Uh, Young Christian artists uh, receive a myriad of different conflicting messages at times from the church and from the secular world uh, regarding their work and uh, sometimes the validity of their artistic pursuit. Uh, Bruce Ellis Benson, who's a professor of philosophy at Wheaton and author of Liturgy as a Way of Life, embodying the arts in Christian worship, stated, the difficulty that the Christian artist faces is the expectation of Christian community and the artistic community that they will almost inevitably clash. And as there are a lot of artists in the room, I imagine that some of you have felt this uh, potential class or conflict uh, perceived or otherwise. Um, It can leave the Christian artist sometimes feeling very much caught in the middle. Further adding to the precariousness of the Christian artist position in the church, You go onto the internet, uh, you can find multitudes of articles uh, that will either just question the value of arts in the church, or um, if you throw the word excellence into the conversation, I wasn't planning sound effects, but I have a nice big microphone up here. Uh, Things can get really problematic. I was talking with Steve earlier today about uh, a uh, research paper that I wrote a couple years ago, and I dove in to all of the wonderful things the internet had to offer and found numerous articles, weblogs, and of course, social media posts uh, by Christians um, or about Christian artists uh, that asserted either that striving for excellence in the arts within the church uh, is unnecessary, is incompatible with serving with humility, or my favorite, irrelevant. Um, I found that dancers uh, and visual artists can face even greater marginalization within the church, as many individuals or denominations disapprove of dance or visual art in any worship context. Um, And I found that this is frequently based on the premise that uh, because either can easily become idols, that they should not be employed in the worship of God. However, if we use that same approach, we can make, I mean, we've shown as a church and as, as people who live in, in a sinful world and, and deal with sin in our lives, we can make virtually anything an idol. And if we take anything that we can create an idol out of and we throw that out of, out of the church, it doesn't really leave us with much because Our idol could be success, it could be health, it could be our family. These aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves. Um, I lived in Texas for 10 years. Um, If we threw out the air conditioning from our church, because some people made an idol out of air conditioning when we had those 90 days in a row of 100 degree temperatures, um, I think we would all suffer, and I don't necessarily think that it would be on point. Um, 
so obviously music, personalities, any of these other concepts can become idols, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to have them stricken uh, from the church. Steve and I, as I mentioned, share a connection in that both of us have worked with the Christian Performing Artists Fellowship uh, and the Masterworks Festival. It's a ministry that started back in 1988 and presented its first summer festival in 1997. Uh, how many of you were at the session last night? Okay. So those of you who heard the uh, orchestra that uh, played the uh, Sasson's Organ Symphony, uh, Symphony Number no. 3, and also played during the, uh, during the hymns, uh, heard... Uh, members of the faculty and current and former students, alumni of the festival. And uh, this festival is a four-week festival that takes place every summer. Uh, our new home is in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And um, so I want to talk a little bit about the model here for reaching into the lives of young artists uh, who are Christians or sometimes young artists who are just open to being at a Christian festival. Um, <clears throat> again, a four-week festival, in addition to performing music, theater, and dance uh, at a high level, uh, the young artists are brought into fellowship, into mentoring relationships with mature Christian artists uh, that teach at top uh, universities in North America and uh, play in, in top orchestras. Um, Several of the students, a lot of the students are very well grounded in the Christian faith when they come to this festival, and some are simply open. Uh, one student that I talked to a couple of years ago said, well, I'm not bothered by the fact that it's a Christian festival. Well, then we're, we're glad to have you here. Um, that's great. Uh, we have Bible studies every evening uh, that are comprised of a mix of students and of faculty members who um, are able to help guide the studies, but we like for them to be student-led. Uh, some of the rabbit holes that these Bible studies go down are absolutely wonderful. And uh, if we ever need to steer them back, uh, we, we can be there. But um, frequently, we'll get feedback at the end of the festival where they've made this incredible music. And we get um, big theater performances. And the feedback we got is that their favorite part of the festival was the relationship that they built with a member of the orchestra, a member of the faculty, in the Bible studies, which is incredibly exciting uh, for me personally. Um, last year, we had at least six people who came to the festival who either uh, made a first commitment or recommitment of their life to Christ as well. Um, faculty giving feedback that they leave feeling more encouraged and energized and, and ready to go out into a, a world that is frequently not as receptive to the gospel as, as we'd like. And particularly within, uh, I can't speak directly into dance, but um, in the secular music world, sometimes it's, it's very hostile toward sharing a gospel message. And any opportunities we can have for building up our young people to be bold when they leave. It's a word that I hear a lot from students. I feel emboldened. Um, that's, that's really exciting. As an aside, talking to students even yesterday um, and over the course of the summer, the feedback I get from a lot of the young people, and I teach at Messiah, so I work with a lot of uh, young Christian artists there as well, um, Consistently, they say that 
they feel that evangelical churches can be doing a better job of providing opportunities for young artists to be using their gifts to serve God within their home church. Um, 20 years ago, we were talking about this earlier today too, I remember hearing a lot of conversations about wanting to make our church or making the church relatable to young people. Now the language that I hear constantly is they just want something authentic. And the word authenticity finds its way over and over again. Um, Students ask me regularly, particularly when they're trying to find a church at Messiah or they're talking about moving forward into college because of Masterworks. We have a lot of uh, very talented high school students, uh, undergraduate students and some graduate students who are moving on. They ask three questions. Where can I go to hear truth preached, even on the difficult topics? Two, where can I go where I can sing some hymns sometimes? Doesn't seem like so much to ask. And frequently from musicians, particularly in my little pocket in central PA, why wherever I go to church is the music cranked up so loud? Is it strange that the musicians are saying or complaining that the music is too loud? It's hurting the sound quality and I can't hear myself sing. So I'd love to see uh, the evangelical churches of, of our country consistently be a place where young performing and visual artists can have their gifts and their talents be used on a regular basis. So I threw the word excellence out there. Um, while we seek after excellence in most areas of our lives, excellence can be a really contentious word when talking about arts in the church. Um, obviously, excellence can't be the ultimate end for what we're doing. If we're seeking excellence in the arts and it's not if it's about us, if it, and it's easy, um, and certainly I'm not just speaking for myself, it can be really easy in the moment or over periods of time to make using our gifts more about us than about God. Um, I mean, obviously, listening to an, a deeply impactful piece um, or witnessing a, a brilliant dance performance uh, is not going to immediately lead somebody uh, to a personal relationship with Christ. Uh, there, there is more that has to happen there. However, um, there's an appeal to something that is truly beautiful and truly excellent and reflects the image of God in that way. And for the believer and the non-believer alike, mediocrity is not particularly attractive to us. Um, but that doesn't mean that we should treat excellence as something that is dangerous or elitist, or something to be uh, marginalized or avoided within the church, because I believe that that's counterproductive to our mission for reaching people through the arts. Um, and the Bible certainly points to people who are talented artists, who are being equipped and used by God. Um, Bezalel, Uskel is an artist, and an artisan was used by God in uh, creating the amazing tabernacle. Uh, David's own skill with the lyre, obviously very important. Uh, Kenaniah's gifts uh, as a singing worship leader in the book of Chronicles. The book of Chronicles does not say he was a horrible singer, so God put him in charge of leading. It really doesn't. You can look it up, but you can just trust me. I'll save you the flip through your phone. Um, yeah, uh, within the culture at large, and certainly within the arts community, excellence is a currency of credibility 
that is deeply important to young artists as they're coming through and learning their craft. Um, and we can leverage this currency of excellence for kingdom purposes. Um, if I, instead of being a musician and a music educator, if I was in a law firm and young lawyer, and I'm really struggling right now to figure out balance in my life and how to be successful and how to deal with all this paperwork, I'm probably not going to seek out the least successful junior partner in the firm to figure out how to sort this all out, to figure out how to make this work, to ask, how do you do this and how do you seem to be finding joy in what you're doing? How do you have this great relationship with your wife? How do you make this all work with all the stress? Um, obviously, finding a way to do those things, you're going to seek out somebody who seems to be successful in of themselves there. Um, I'd like to talk just briefly about Phil Smith. He's somebody that uh, for 35 years was the principal uh, trumpet player in the New York Philharmonic. And somebody who has been a role model for a lot of non-trumpet players. I'm a saxophonist and bassoonist, so I know every trumpet joke there is, particularly since I have four professional trumpet players in my extended family. But uh, Phil was the, professor, uh, the principal in the New York Phil for 35 years and leveraged his skills in his secular art form to reach a lot of people, both within, um, within the arts and outside of it, because he doesn't make any delineation between what he does uh, vocationally and his walk with Christ. Um, and he's been a fantastic model in that non-believers and believers alike will pay money to come to one of his seminars. He does clinics and guest residencies 20 or 30 every year and come to just listen to what he has to say because he's one of the greatest orchestral musicians of the last 50 years. And interestingly enough, uh, several years ago, CNN presented a 10-part series on musicians of the New York Phil. And I'd like to read to you, I'm gonna say this again, this is a CNN article. I'm gonna take a moment to read this. My trumpet playing is absolutely God's gift. In the beginning, this was a life choice of mine, but that was only because I was too dumb to know that it was a calling. Each of us has specific gifts. Each of us has specific roles to play, to lift people up and to point to God Almighty. One of the roles of being a Christian is to tell people about what Christ has done for you, what Christ means to you. Because of my role as principal trumpet for the New York Philharmonic, I get a big opportunity to go out and mix with young kids, to challenge them, to lift them up, and say, keep going, work harder. It's politically incorrect to talk about one's faith, but you can't live a life without a faith in something. And our kids are being told by the world, it seems, don't worry about your faith. And I'm out there saying, no, you got to think about what you believe, in whom you believe, why you're here. Are you just here by some quirk of your mom and dad's unification? I don't think so. My faith is a relationship with Christ in my heart. If you've got that song in your heart, it's got to come out. It's a part of who I am. I can't help it. I have to talk about it. But it's going to come out in my living too. The truth of what I say, hopefully, is expressed in how I live with gentleness, peace, joy, love, kindness, compassion. This is a CNN article, folks. And as a musician, it's going to be expressed in your music and in how well you play. I don't believe God is into giving high C's per se. I think you have to practice, but I do think God can put a sense of calm and a sense of peace and allow you to play the best of your ability. Um, the article closed with, there's no greater place for missionary service than in the arts. Arts is an expression of the heart, 
of God's gift. And the missionary duty here is to say, do you realize where your gift came from? Clearly not all of us are going to have a big of a stage or a mouthpiece as Phil, uh, but I personally witnessed in secular orchestras, chamber music, I'm a jazz musician as well, uh, just how the Holy Spirit will put you in positions where there are people that are ready to talk and ask questions, and frequently not the people that I most expect are going to want to have those conversations. And seeing as a result of being available to talk to people and remembering that music is for God and music is for people, Uh, music is not the end in of itself, Uh, uh, watching people have their lives transformed uh, by Christ. And I realize I have talked too long. So let me talk about the other prong here real quick. Um, Evangelism and ministry, very important to an audience as well. As Christian audiences, we often talk about performing for an audience of one, performing for Christ. Um, Obviously, our performance can and should be an act of worship. Uh, That being said, we don't want to ignore the fact that we have all of these people in the audience. And music and the arts are a gift from God. um, And we're allowed to use these to reflect uh, God's grace, God's greatness, his creativity and his creation. Uh, Sharing that beauty, uh, whether it be simple or really complex, is central to the role of the artist. Again, I don't feel like I have to convince this room full of people that music and the arts can really impact people in an intimate and to touch people in a way that other things might not be able to accomplish. Um, But I will say that um, we have an opportunity to either have, um, have culture change the gospel or have the gospel impact culture. And when we're presenting great music played by people who have a heart for the Lord, um, it gives people an alternative to some of the really damaging things that we're seeing that are mainstream culture now. Um, I remember MTV in the 80s, and I remember thinking, well, okay, so there are some sketchy things in the 1980s. And then flipping around the television now, uh, the culture is there. The question is, do people have options to find things that are God-honoring uh, or not? And that's an opportunity that we have as, uh, as Christian artists is to fill any potential cultural vacuum uh, with something that is spirit-led and that could skillfully reflect truth, uh, beauty, and, uh, and God's redemption uh, for us in a fallen, fallen world. Um, With Masterworks, something that we try to do is make music available for everybody. Uh, We're in our new home in uh, Converse College in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Our weekend concerts present, I mean, it's called the Masterworks Festival, so we present Masterworks, but beforehand, um, we all pray corporately on stage. Um, and we're aware that people will see that coming on uh, when they come in as an audience, and that's, that's great. We open with a word of prayer, uh, and we close the concert with an invitation to, uh, to folks to stay around if they want to uh, while we'll sing hymns and, and praise and worship things, and some people stick around and check things out. We have a lot of curious people about, well, these seem like professional musicians. We see the audience grow from weekend to weekend as, as the word gets out. And uh, having that opportunity to, uh, to minister to people um, who might not be aware 
that the Masterworks Festival is a Christian organization until we get there um, is a real privilege. Um, so I'll, I'll pass off the mic here to, to Steve uh, in just a second. But I, returning to the comment about uh, students approaching me about the evangelical church, um, I play a lot of gigs where people hire me to come in on one rehearsal or two rehearsals to play amazing music at churches around Pennsylvania and the Mid-Atlantic. And my wife is a wonderful flutist as well. We frequently have this conversation. Why is it that the churches that tend to be the ones to bring us in to play this great music are the ones where they're probably going to follow up with something that's really nice and inspirational and doesn't point to the gospel of Jesus Christ in any meaningful way? Wouldn't it be great, isn't it something to aspire to, that the churches where you're most likely to go and hear the truth and the gospel of Christ in the way that we can be transformed through his blood, what if those were the places that were presenting great art, great dance, great music to the people and using that to draw them to the church and closer to Christ? Certainly appreciate uh, all that you were sharing, and Todd, and uh, you took some of my scriptures away that I was oh, going to use. <laughs> no, 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 I was just kidding. But um, uh, it's I, just to kind of uh, uh, tag along on, on one thing you mentioned. The Masterworks Festival, I think, is one of the greatest uh, music festivals that are out there, but also particularly for the believer artist. Um, I had the opportunity of being involved with them for uh, well over a decade, uh, probably 15 years, and to go there and to choreograph and the vision that Patrick Cavanaugh had for the arts, I just think has been exemplary, and I'm so glad that it's continuing on. Um, you know, I really feel impressed to kind of talk, give some sort of contextualization of, of what's going on currently as artists, you know, uh, in Indian evangelism, because there's a lot going on. It's not all dismal, uh, you know, lack of opportunities. There's some great things happening. And I think particularly now, uh, in, in the kind of culture that we have, this post-Christian culture that we're, we're living in right now, it's really important to understand and be effective in, in, our, in, in sharing a faith. Uh, one of the things that's in the handbook uh, that was given out was that one of the goals here uh, this week is to contextualize the contextualization of the gospel and uh, connect it to all of life. And if that's the serious mandate that we follow, we really have to get a sense of just what this culture's like and, and how, as artists, they can work with the whole you know, notion of evangelism. Um, I, there was a Barna study that recently said that uh, it was saying the top, uh, they had the top 10 uh, cities that were post-Christian in America. And uh, eight out of the 10 are in the Northeast. Um, and I live in the second, uh, number two on the list. Um, so the culture that we're speaking to right now is very, very different than it was even five, 10 years ago. You know, and in order to do that, we have to be really effective in what we share. Um, so I do all that to start with these, this quote that I'd like to read from uh, uh, a man named Colin Harbison. Uh, he, he actually came to speak at the Masterworks Festival one year, but he's, he's, a, uh, he's a brilliant writer, a brilliant author, uh, but he also has a passion for the arts. I mean, I would put him in the category of, of some, you know, some writers like Schaefer and whatnot, just in his, his, his notion of the importance of being significant as artists in our present-day culture. But I want to read this quote uh, kind of just to start off with. 
Um, he's, and he has a, 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 a website or a ministry called Stoneworks, and it's a global arts initiative. So this is what he says. At certain times in history, the arts have played a strategic role in the life and mission of the church, and Christians championed artistic endeavor to the glory of God and led the way in artistic innovation and excellence. But at other times, Christians abandoned the world of the arts, seeing it as a broken and spiritually bankrupt, they went into self-imposed cultural and artistic exile. Now, the neglect of the imagination has deeply impoverished the body of Christ. For too long, the church has marginalized the arts and failed to articulate a theology that makes room for the creative gifts God has given for his glory and for our blessing. Uh, there's probably never been a time in which biblical understanding of the arts is more needed by the church than at our present visual and image-oriented postmodern cultural uh, postmodern culture. Hashtag Instagram. <laughs> during, during the past few decades, there has been a global renewal of interest in the arts and the imagination amongst believers. We must build a highway for a new generation of gifted Christians so they will not have to fight the same battles as earlier generations did. We must help them uh, identify and remove the stones in their lives in the church and in the culture that would cause them to stumble. We must mentor young artists and encourage them to exercise their creative gifts with excellence and to the glory of God. Like the ancient Hebrew musicians who wept over the ruins of Jerusalem, we need to weep over the brokenness of our world and the distortion of the arts. And only then we will understand the need for God's work of restoration. Um, uh, just a little bit about myself. Um, dan becoming a dancer was not my idea. Um, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't a little kid with dreams of dancing on a stage or anything like that. I, dancing was not in my life at all. So I, I took karate, I ran track. You know? um, and I got to college and um, you know, had started my studies there. And what happened was there was a, um, uh, a performance of this company, Dance Theater of Harlem that was coming, to the, was coming to Dartmouth. And um, I had no interest in seeing it. it was dance. Who wants to see dance? You know, but I remember these friends, come on, come on, Rooks, you got to see it. You got to look at this performance. Let's go, let's go. So someone got me a ticket, and I went. And um, just to uh, talk about the transcendent power of art, I sat there just kind of unmoved, and then the curtain went up, and I went from this position kind of sitting back to here. And for the entire concert, I was at the edge of my seat. And that's not hyperbole. That's exactly where I was. And afterwards, I remember trembling. I, I said, I have to experience this. I, I don't know what's just happened, but I know I have to experience this. And it wasn't that I was going to become a classical ballet dancer, but all of, in a, in a fail swoop, all of these things were being eradicated in my processes. For one thing, I didn't think that was something accessible to me. I dance, you know, uh, and especially seeing a predominantly African-American troupe. So there was a cultural connection as well. And to see men moving powerfully. So all of the stereotypes of dance were being shot out the window. And I, and, but then there was this other thing that I couldn't put my hand on. I understand now it was God's wooing, but there was, some, there was some transcendent power in this. And I'm not talking about sensuality. Well, there was something powerful in this art that was being, and I knew that I, I had to in some way experience that in my life. Um, I, I, I left school and um, uh, tried to kind of do my own career path. I was going to graduate school a little bit, but then I was taking dance classes at night. And ultimately, to make a long story short, uh, someone saw me. They compelled me to go to New York. I went on a whim. I didn't realize I had a talent. And... Um, with, and I'd only been dancing a year, but I got a full scholarship at the Alvin Ailey American Dance Center. And then three years later, I ended up dancing in Martha Graham. Okay. But more importantly than that, before I got in the Graham Company, I had an encounter with Christ. And um, 
what was was overwhelming was was that I uh, what compelled me to bring come to that place was his overwhelming love for me, and um, and his and his acceptance of me as a total package. Not only Steve the person, but also Steve the artist, and whatnot. Um, but I didn't find that kind of reception, though, unilaterally, you know, within the body of Christ. Um, I think what happens a lot of times um, as, as, as an artist, whether it's a musician, a dancer, a poet, whatever, um, is that there's, there's kind of three responses as an artist and a believer. There's, there's kind of three categories. And it's not that one is two are wrong and one is right or three are all, they're all wrong or they're all right. It's just these are ten, typical responses as an artist you know, that, that comes to faith. And one is, uh, you know, if you're an artist and you come to faith, you're oft sometimes told to leave that. All right, you know, now that you're a Christian, okay, this is to leave that. You don't want to be drawn to the world. You need to work on your faith. And at the time I was coming up, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of dancers and models and, and actors in New York that were getting saved. And some of the pastors were really encouraging them to, 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 to lay their craft down. And they did. A number of them did. And um, for some of them, they, they, it was decisions that they did not regret. And for many, it was very tragic. Okay, and again, that's not a judgment or, or, or in any way to disparage the, the leaders, but they were doing it to try to, to help these young people. But uh, they really didn't feel that the arts could be a safe place for them to grow in the faith. So that's usually, that's one response that tends to happen. Okay, now another second response is that you want to just make an adjustment to what you're doing. So if you're playing the flute, you know, it's okay to play the flute, but play the flute in church. Or if, you, or if you're a dancer, you know, it's okay to dance, but make sure you do it in a worship service or in a church that permits that. Uh, the whole notion of, of doing something outside of that just may not, you know, might not, might not be what God wants, wants for you. Um, uh, I remember <laughs> people would come up to me with all kinds of visions, you know, sometimes, you know, like, I, I, I really feel, brother, that uh, it might be a good idea for you to maybe, you know, step out from the company you're in and start your own school. You could be a Christian school, a Christian dance school. And, and, and they meant well, but it, it didn't resonate with anything that I felt God was doing in my heart at that time. And I think sometimes we, we feel that's the, that's the remedy. It would be something very specifically connected with a specific area of ministry. Uh, and, and again, for some, I've had some friends that did follow that path, and they're very happy today, and they're doing great work. But again, that wasn't something that resonated in what I felt God was doing in my life. And then there's a third, there's a third kind of uh, uh, category, I think, that finds. And it's, a, it's for persons who are really called to excel in the art as an agent of transformation and to do it excellently. Ex- excellently. Um, and I really felt that that's what God was calling me to. My whole career has, has been in the secular world, as it were. I mean, I danced in New York in these companies. I, I teach at Vassar College. You know, <laughs> so it's, I've always, you know, that's, that's where God has placed me, you know, and, and I know that it's been a placement. But I was also, in the process of coming to that reality, I realized there were other artists, and that's what I want to talk about, the, the artists that have also feeling this call to be agents of transformation in our culture. And um, during the time that I was you know, as a young believer, I met some incredible Christians who uh, were doing Broadway shows, uh, uh, some that were, uh, were, were writers uh, and, and, and whatnot. And we would oftentimes get together for certain projects just as an outreach to the city. One was, uh, was a Bible study that we had every Wednesday called The Unbroken Chain. And it was led by, by Ben Harney. And uh, we, we did that for a number of years. And then uh, Another was uh, the Great Day Chorale, which was a, a, a wonderful choral group. We were able to get together and do productions. Well, ended up actually doing one at Carnegie Hall, 
uh, again, just the idea of an expose of our arts. Uh, we did a thing called Giving God the Glory, which was a show. We rented out a theater in, uh, in New York, the Beacon Theater, and just did uh, a number of professional artists to gather just to, you know, as an outreach, as it were, just to do this performance for the city. Um, and, and so there was really, it was, it was a, a unique time in that there were people getting together and, and they really felt that, that part of, of their calling, the way the best reach a city like New York was for the art. Um, <clears throat> in the course of time, there were other relationships that developed. And I want to speak about a few that I really feel are kind of on the forefront of this whole notion of reaching our culture through the arts. Um, one is Randall Flynn. Randall Flynn is the artistic director of A Damn Dance Company in Houston. If you don't know about him, you should <laughs> look him up on Facebook, uh, look up the company. Uh, they're amazing. Uh, Randy was a uh, very similar background in mine. He was a professional dancer. And then he had an encounter with the Lord. He, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he actually went through the process of becoming an ordained minister. And his thoughts, as in most at the time, was that, okay, now I'll leave dance alone and I'll go into something really authentic for Christ. Uh, but his pastor just really believed that he was neglecting his calling and that he was neglecting a whole audience that he was going to be able to reach because he had a specific gift and encouraged him to stay with it. And then, you know, just to actually open up a dance studio, you know, and, and there'll be a whole group of people that you'll be able to reach that probably won't go to church. And he opted to do that. And thank God he did. And over the years, he's ended up traveling all over the world, and he's developed one of the, the largest companies in Houston now, the Adam Dance Company. And what sets them apart, not only is the message, you know, and, and obviously a strong faith, but there's a level of excellence that's undeniable. So if any, even if there are people who are resistant in the message initially, when they see these dancers on stage, it, it, they, they shut the house down. Okay, um, it's kind of become a currency which allowed them to play at the Miller Dance Festival, and they've even come to Vassar College to perform. And what was interesting about that was was that um, uh, I, I was doing this evening work, and um, I'm having a damn company perform a part of it, and. <clears throat> Uh, the word got out that it was a Christian dance company. So there was a lot of eye rolling and, oh, my gosh, what's this going to be like? You know, here comes mediocrity. I mean, there, were, there was kind of this. And then to have the company come and perform and, for lack of a just just really overwhelm the audience, you know, bef before midnight that night. And I had never gotten uh, responses from the chair of our department but from the chair of our department and even the dean of the, the faculty, they were saying how impressed they were with these artists. And it was, it was heartfelt because what they were doing, the level of art and the power of the message was just was, was palpable and transforming. Uh, so Randall Flynn and the, and the Adam group is, is, is really a group you should know. Another one is Project Dance. Um, and if you, I also have a handout here that has a listing of these as well. You can grab it on your way out. But Project Dance was initiated after 9-11. And it was founded by uh, a woman, uh, Cheryl Cutlip. She was a dancer as one of the Rockettes in Radio City Music Hall. And she just had a burden, as we all did, and we were all living in New York, you know, like uh, a burden for the city. It was so broken after the attack. And we were trying to think, what's, what's the best way to reach out? Come on, what can we do? And uh, we knew that Cheryl had access to studios at, at the Radio City Music Hall, and we all wanted to do something. And she had this crazy idea, why don't we... Why don't we ask permission to shut down part of Times Square and just do a dance performance? And so, you know, at lo and behold, she did. She approached the city, and we and got a permit, and we shut down part of Times Square, and then an all-day dance concert, which also included um, 
um, you know, dance master classes for the artists that perform. But it was just to love on New York, and it was done by believer artists, and we were able to in in dance, you know, uh, the art form just just to really love on the city, have have workers there that were able to share the gospel, and um, it was something that we went so well that actually we it was they were invited to do it again, and it's been going on nonstop since then. But in addition to that, it's exploded internationally. And now there's Project Dance Manila, Project Dance Taipei, Project Dance Lima, Calgary, Atlanta. They're going to be, there's going to be one in Chicago, Costa Rica, you know, uh, and many, uh, Sydney, Australia. And again, with the same premise that, that the arts, be, you know, because it's so transitioned, they can speak to people. And um, um, what I want to speak about the Project Dance in Paris that's going on. The... This, the, the platform that they perform is, is that this is the same place where the terrorist bombings have occurred. So Project Dance is setting up right at the place where there's so much mourning you know, and weeping for the city. And the, the first one actually happened this summer right after these, those attacks that happened at Place de la République. And they've continued to go there you know, uh, for every year since then. Um, and you look at videos of it and you see people watching because, you know, sophisticated audiences, they, they want to see art, you know, and if they see that, they'll stay to listen, you know, and you see people staying for hours. I, it's not uncommon to see them lingering on the station, just asking the questions and wanting to know more because they see something that's transcended all their intellect and, and their resistance. You know, this is something, you know, this is something powerful here. Um, so that's Project Dance. But there's other groups, uh, the Culture House that's in Kansas City, Missouri. It was uh, started by Jeremiah Mona Enna. And it started in a small little, little, little dance studio, and it's ended up being one of the larger cultural institutions in Kansas City. And they're very, very clear on, on their mission, that, it, that, they, it, that, that their, their, their worldview of what they do is, is Christian, but they offer the highest level of dance classes, drama classes, music classes, whatnot, and, and they've, really, they've recently ordered, uh, opened up an enormous facility in Olathe. Uh, and they've been there for years. They've created a work call, um, called The Underground, which is a story of Harriet Tubman. And it's been used as, a, as, a, as an instrument to bring the whole community together, uh, to bring people aware of, of, of our history, you know, but also uh, of the healing that can come to reconciliation. Okay? And again, all this is from a biblical worldview. Um, there's a number of, of, of ballet companies that have come up. You, some of you are probably familiar with Ballet Magnificat, which is the, the, you know, the largest classical ballet company, Christian company in the, in the U.S. It was founded by Kathy Thibodeau, who won the silver medal in one of the international ballet competitions. They've been going on for years. But there's other companies as well. Ballet 5-8 um, are doing a great work now in the Chicago area. And what's, again, what's so impressive is, is they're getting favor in the community, not so much initially because of the message, but because it's just so good. Um, Ballet 58 has done, done a version of the Messiah, and recently the community has allowed them to open a dance center there, uh, there in the area, and, it's, and they're growing, uh, as is Ecclesia Contemporary Ballet from Killington, Connecticut, Killingsworth, Connecticut. They've just recently performed down at Duke, at the, uh, at the uh, Duke School, uh, School of Divinity. Uh, the Link School of the Arts in Troy, Michigan, uh, which I also happen to be on the board of directors, uh, we've uh, been able to draw in artists to, to come in and, and work and, and to train. Some have gone on to the uh, Cicchetti competitions in Italy, Youth American Grand Prix. And right now we're on the verge of starting a hope, what we hope to be the first uh, professional Christian classical ballet company in the Detroit area. Okay, and I, um, so I share, not, share all of that not to 
to kind of be, you know, to, to, to celebrate, but just to, to understand that God is moving. They, there's, there's a whole underground of people who feel called to, to, to the arts, who see the power of it, know the potency of it, and they're making the decision at a young age. You, I, I go to intensives now and teach, and they're young, young Christians, 11 years old, who when you talk to them, they say, you know, I, I really want to grow in this, and then I hope to open my own school. And, and they're strong in their faith. They're, they're really connected with the Lord. It's not, you know, just a whim because their parents have drugged them there. They really, at a young age, are making this decision, and they want to use it as a means of drawing people to Jesus. You know, um, so... Um, H.P. Charles said something this morning. He said it twice, and I thought it was uh, particularly compelling. He said, Jesus is willing to cross any barrier necessary to reach the loss, are we? And what I liked, he said it twice, I, 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 you know, and, and it just really stuck out to me because I think that's kind of the challenge that we faced as artists or even people who want to understand art is that, that uh, the, the notion of, of how we reach and who we reach as, as morphed, you know, and we really have to think about being effective. And that's going to mean sometimes being messy things. I mean, it's, it's risky to say, to trust that an that an that a orchestra concert or a dance performance uh, can be, you know, used as a, as, a, as a tool for drawing people to the message of Jesus. But it can be, and we have to be willing to trust that. What was so nice about the, the film that we saw last night, about Tia's testimony, if you saw that last night, I, I mean, here, you know, discipleship and evangelism is, is a messy deal. You know, it's, it's going to mean some mess. It's going to take some time. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to involve risk. And we can't be afraid of that. Um, you know, as artists, I'm, for the artists that are here, I, I wish you all of God's blessings on whatever he's called you to do and in whatever arena is. And don't be afraid of it. it you know, it, it may not always look like what it's looked like before because people are, and you used to, you were, they're genuinely looking for something authentic now. I, you know, I teach at a liberal arts college, and they scrutinize my life, you know, every inch, as, as they should, uh, you know, but they want to see something authentic. They want to know if this faith is real, and, um, and, and it may take you in areas that, that you might not have, you know, thought about going in before. Uh, as one of the ways that if, you, if you're not really connected in the arts, but a great way to think of doing it is just supporting the artists in, in, in your congregations and in your home. You know, you might have kids that... Uh, that they, they, they have a dream of, of being a dancer one day, or they want to be a screenwriter. I have one mother talk to me. Her son just wants to just be a screenwriter. And um, she's risking, oh, I don't know about Hollywood, you know, Hollywood. And I'm like, you know, we, uh, you know if, if the rules don't change, you have to be grounded in the Lord on whatever career you decide to do. You know, I think we're worried about the risk factor because there's such a, a proliferation of, of darkness in the arts, but we have this opportunity to go and uphold truth. And we can't be afraid of that. And it does involve risk and it can be messy, but it's not something that we think we necessarily need to back off from. Um, yeah, so um, I think it might be nice maybe in the next few minutes to, uh, to have any questions. I don't, I don't know if there's kind of a lot going out there, but we could just, we can just ask. Yes, I have a couple Ooh. of questions. A book that I've worked with, uh, and I'm, I'm pausing for a second because I'm really hoping that the author's name is going to come to my head, but uh, Heart of the Artist. Rory Nolan. Thank Rory you. Nolan. <laughs> that's, that's one that, uh, that I've, I've worked through uh, with some students, and I find that it's, it's uh, both authentic and accessible, to use our, to use our words there. Um, yeah. The other one is, is actually by Patrick Kavanaugh. I really re- it, it's maybe hard to get. It's called You Are Talented. By Patrick, it's great. 
It's a great, I actually wrote one of the endorsements in it, so shameless plug there, but no, but it's a great, no, it is a great book because he, he deals with the whole spectrum of, of being an artist, not just playing in the New York Philharmonic, but those, someone who's called to give, you know, violin lessons, you know, uh, in, in their basement. So, so it, it really, it, it, I think it's a great book, a great resource for that. And there's, there's many others as well, but those two, I mean, the heart of the arts is the one I was going to say. I, I, uh, Risk is is inherent when you go out in the arts because I mean we deal with um, sometimes being center stage and so ego can can be an issue but also uh, there's some pretty dark places that you can go in the secular arts just I mean uh, venues and this and that being grounded with a few friends that are willing to have the difficult conversations people who are of faith I think um, for me was key in my in my younger years having a couple of people who had been in the arts for longer than I was and who are willing to ask questions about what's your motivation for this, Todd? What, what, what direction are you going in and why? And have you thought about this? Um, yeah, there are a few people that I probably owe like the, the, the long, you know, belated uh, thank you letters to for people that, that could help keep me grounded in, in my faith and making sure that I wasn't veering off a particular direction because, well, here's this great opportunity, but I might be compromising a little bit about what I'm about because there, at least in music, there are lots of opportunities to do that. To, I'm going to go play that show because it, it pays really well, but wow, the subject matter is really iffy. And uh, so, I mean, those are, those are a couple of thoughts. Yeah, um, but I want to go back to just saying that that I keep saying the rules don't change. I mean, I think in, in, if you decide to become a lawyer or anything, you, 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 the 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 necessity of being in fellowship and being in the word those that never changes. Okay, um, I think uh, also, but it's important as artists is you realize what you're going into, because I have I'm going to be honest. I have seen some well-meaning. Believers say, I'm going to go here and I'm going to win this dance studio to the Lord, you know, and, and, and they're going off. And, and, and no, the, their, heart, their heart is right, so I don't, I'm not making fun of that. But I don't think they're, they're really taking the large picture of the context of our culture now and, and how imperative it is to be in fellowship. I wanted, you know, with the, I, used, I did like, I was counting, I think I did like 23 European tours with the company. And, you know, I was in the studios all the time. And so, I'm, I'm very thankful I went to a very strong church and I had praying people that were right, right on, alongside me. And that undergirded me to, to kind of have that walk. But also, uh, it's making sure that you're called to do that because uh, going and winning a dance studio to the Lord is a great idea if you're called to do it. Um, and again, I'm not assuming this person was. I'm just saying that, that, that it it's really boils down to you know, being in a place where God's called. Those whom he calls, he equips and, and, and really asking, you know, when you're in that circumstance, if you, if you, then you really have this vision, making certain that you're, you're in the word of God, that you're in prayer, and you're in fellowship. I think it's probably the same if you're an investment banker <laughs> or, or anything else. I mean, there are, there, there are a number of stereotypes about everything there. Um, and in music theater, it has its own set of stereotypes. Um, I don't know that we're going to be able to individually be able to impact the entire world as far as addressing those stereotypes, but how you live and how you walk in Christ can impact the people that are immediately around you who are making those wrong assumptions. Uh, we were talking earlier today about when I was in my early 20s and, and 
really focusing on on as a jazz performer. And I saw an article about a man who had been saved from the world of jazz. And so I'm performing in this medium because I'm rebelling from God. I'm all of these other things. You know, that's that's what the perception is of of some people there. And um, that perception is bigger than I am as an individual. But how how I walk with Christ um, is something that we have control over. And, you know, if people are paying close attention, they will they will see that you're not a stereotype. They'll see you for who you are and for what you walk. Yeah. And, and always living in where God is, who God says you are rather than what's other people, you know, and that's really. Where, where's the line? Okay. Okay. This, this is really going to sound, <laughs> this is going to sound risky, but um, um, we, we were doing an outreach in Lima, Peru. And um, the, this was a project dance venue. Um, and I can say this because it's true. Uh, uh, and the presenters felt that they wanted just to open up the, pres- the performance to anyone in the dance community. So that could be the, you know, the, the Christian dance group here, or it could be X, Y, and Z. And so uh, it was a real broad spectrum, and it was a really risky undertaking. But, what, but I'm glad they took the risk, even though it was a nail-biter kind of watching them perform. I'm just, just, just speaking. But afterwards, the the dancers were so thankful for the opportunity to perform. And they were thankful and said, hey, and they were able to have a conversation. Hey, can we pray with you? And so you see this group that had just presented it. And it was, it was pretty from a dark place. But what was redemptive was, that that was, the, was the connections they would make with believers and to get the prayer and actually being at least introduced to, to Christ through that. You know, so it's, it's, again, it's, it's, it was risk, you know, because obviously there were a lot of people who wanted and kind of catch themselves aback, but the benefit I thought uh, outweighed that risk. You know, ultimately, that's that's just one case. Yeah. Yeah. You've been waiting for a little while to yes, ask hey. a question over the other side. So I want to know if you had a- <laughs> Steve's like, you take that one, Todd. <laughs> you saw that the body language and everything. He was almost out the exit right there. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any empirical data to support this, but I think that. And rightfully so, that the evangelical church has been wary of things that are just all emotion, mm-hmm. that are not, uh, that are there to entertain and, and whatnot. And uh, the arts have a capability of entertaining, but there's so much more. There's so much more there. Um, it is a way of reaching us. Uh, impacting us, surprising us, capturing somebody who is sitting there anticipating that they're going to be bored, and all of a sudden, they're captivated. Um, So, I mean, we can find problematic art really easily, whether it be visual art, performing art, music, I mean, music. but as to the why, I, I, my wife quoted me a few weeks ago on something that I said where they're talking about just throwing everything out. I apparently at some point said, I don't know, sweetie, there's a whole lot of baby in that bathwater. <laughs> and, 
And I think that that's what sometimes happens. We have this gift from God that is sometimes twisted, perverted, marginalized, this or that. And so to be safe, we should just probably let this all go. And I think if I were going to sum it up all in a nutshell, I think to an extent, and again, this is a generalization. There are obviously evangelical churches that are really engaged with arts in different, exciting, in innovative ways. But I think in general, it's, it's, a, it's a baby bathwater kind of thing. Um, we could probably take one more. One more? Sure. One more, and then we have to close down. I think with churches that are grounded in solid beliefs, they're not going to change drastically all of a sudden. And I think that that's a good thing for, for a lot of reasons. But I think that with a church body that is discerning, if they are introduced in baby steps to the value of what... of what the arts can do to impact people within their congregation and without in meaningful, substantive ways that I think that we can change. I don't think it's an overnight kind of thing, nor necessarily would it be, but um, look for opportunities to present something that they haven't experienced before. I know that sometimes in, in churches that have contemporary worship, just bringing in a choir to do something chorally for a few minutes, people are astonished. I liked it. It spoke <laughs> yeah. to my heart. Yeah. yeah. What if we did that several times a year? Yeah. You know, sometimes it's little things like that where they say, wow, this really does have value, but they've been missing it from their spiritual diet for so long that they don't recognize that it's a value. We got to close. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, we have to close. If any of you want to... Uh, you know, stay along the chat you can, but thank you so much. You want to close us in prayer? Sure. Lord God, we thank you so much for having this opportunity to be in fellowship and just to focus on you. Um, we pray that, uh, that your work will be done through the artists that are here in this room, Lord, and that uh, we will all be uh, discerning and patient and loving and find ways to, uh, to use the gifts that you've given us and uh, to support others in doing this so that we can reach uh, people um, to help bring hearts, lead hearts to you, Lord, and create disciples so that we can put on your full armor, Lord, and, and fulfill the Great Commission through these gifts that you've given us to enrich our lives, Lord, and to worship you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. For more gospel-centered resources, visit thegospelcoalition.org.